Hi there. Welcome to Totally Fantastic Title. I'm Krista Wallace. Uh, the other night, uh, my husband and I attended a concert on Zoom. This was a really cool thing. Um, what a neat way of having, you know, it, it's virtual, so there's a distance aspect to it. But it was also this sort of really intimate setting to have a concert with just a small group of people, everybody in their individual homes, and watching this performance. Uh, the artist's name is Mary Scholes, S-C-H-O-L-Z. She was based in L.A., and there were several of us situated all over the place, um, listening to her music and despite some technical difficulties that that she had with uh with the online connection and that the the music was terrific and and what a fun way to spend an evening and it was by donation so you know anyway i i would encourage you to keep your eyes open for for opportunities like that i know um bc artist dan mangan has uh started a, a project called Side Door. And so he's helping artists have online concerts just like that. And again, it's a way for them to continue performing as well as make a little bit of money for their art, which they so richly deserve. Um, so check it out. See what you can find as alternate uh, sources of entertainment other than, you know, watching TV and that sort of thing. So it was really, really cool. The other thing I wanted to mention is uh, Barkerville, the fantastic uh, Gold Rush Museum up in the Caribou, has opened virtually. So whereas I've been there before, wandering around the old-fashioned town and and the uh, interpreters are all in costume out wandering in the streets and they'll suddenly break into dialogue and teach you a little bit of something about, about the way of life up there back in the 1860s, they've this year started an online version. And so if you go to www.barkerville.ca, there's a whole list of... Um, interactive shows you can attend. The ticket prices are really low and you can experience Barkerville from the comfort of your home office or living room or wherever you like to watch uh, your, your Zoom videos. So that's something that we're going to be doing in the next couple of days too. Anyway, enough. Let's get on with chapter four. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace. Chapter 4 The Folly of Shopping Kier awoke to Dima, the sun god, brushing her face with his and to the sound of voices. Janik, will you fetch some water? Fennel asked. Now? The dwarf stopped in the middle of rolling his bed. The elf stared at him momentarily with a puzzled expression on his face. Of course. Val doesn't have quite enough water for the porridge, and I'm not sure how much you know about cooking, Janik, my friend, but water does take some time to come to a boil, and I'm not drinking any tea that's made with water that hasn't been properly boiled first. The flavor's all wrong. And what are you doing that you can't walk to the stream? Janik snapped. Fennel's six-foot-four-inch height towered over Janik, and he said proudly, I am on a mission for our employer, I'll have you know. He gave a sweeping bow to the dark elf who sat on a rock by the fire. I have been expressly asked to fetch certain herbs which I know to be available in this environment, and if you wish to have flavor in your meals rather than mere variations of bland, you'd better go get the water so I have time to do as I have been requested. 
Janik snatched up the pail. All right, all right. If it means you'll shut the hell up, I'm off. He stomped through the trees. Kier smirked. They're right over there, Fennel, Valraker murmured, waving his hand in the direction of some wild parsley and onion about ten paces away. I know, Fennel said cheerfully. Kier stood up, moving a little more slowly than usual. She snatched up a cloth and towel and followed Janik to the stream to give her wounds a proper bath. Morning, she set her things down. He did not reply. She knelt down and whipped her blood-stained tunic over her head, and as he turned to rise with his full bucket, she saw his eyes fall on her bare torso, her medallion, and down to the gash in her ribs. He looked startled but quickly turned his mouth into a sneer and said, Bloody humans! Derry, in his physiker persona, watched Kier's progress to the stream out of the corner of his eye. She moved with a slight stiffness, but generally appeared to be healing up well. When she removed her tunic, he felt heat brush his cheeks. Confused, he sat down to sort through his physicking kit. Janik stomped through the trees. "'What's wrong, Janik?' asked Valraker. "'You look pale. Did you see a fearful sight?' Janik was about to bark a retort when he saw the dark elf's laughing eyes. Evidently, Valraker had also witnessed the exchange at the stream. The dwarf set the pail down next to him. "'My day started off poorly. It needs no worsening by the sight of female human skin.' Valraker poured a bit of water into the pot. "'I'm sure she doesn't see herself that way,' said Derry as he rearranged out-of-place items in his kit. "'She's a fighter, with a fighter's body. I'm sure it won't be the last time it is wounded, and I have to treat it the same way I do yours.' "'Yes,' said Jeskelin, "'and I've seen the way Derry shudders when he is forced to scrutinize your leathern skin. It is not a pretty sight.' Fennel rose and peered through the willows. "'Damn, she's a looker, though!' Derry sighed. Fennel, it is hardly courteous to watch her. What? You just said she has a fighter's body. And do you spy through the trees when I'm bathing, too? Fennel put the tea kettle on the fire. I notice you're sitting with your back to her. Derry ignored the remark, but his voice was impatient. Think of her as a fellow warrior. I'm sure she'll be thankful when we get used to having her around. Janet grunted as he tied his bedroll to his pack. And I'm sure she'll let us know if she gets tired of us appreciating her presence in the meantime, said Valraker, sifting oatmeal into the water. Trust me, she can be quite assertive. Derry glanced at his lord and saw a curl of amusement on his lips. I do not recall if we allocate this much time as a rule to discussing each new person who joins us, put in Jeskelin quietly. Not everyone is this much worth talking about, Fennel retorted. I think she adds a touch of class. Kier left her now clean tunic spread out on the rocks to dry and unbraided her brown hair as she returned to her saddlebags. Valraker was serving up the porridge. She put on her other tunic, then began yanking a brush through the tangles the rain had tied. Morning! And you, Valraker returned, how's the wound? Much better, thanks to our friendly local physiker. She stretched from side to side. But it'll take a few more days before I can bend normally. Her brush caught an unusually stubborn tangle, and she frowned. "'I will put some more of the salve on it before we depart,' Derry said. "'If you're ready, come and have some of this,' Valraker said. "'Sounds great. I'm hungry,' she returned the brush to her bag. She remembered something else and drew a small knife from her saddlebag to put in her boot sheath as a temporary replacement for the one she'd used on her captor. "'It's only fair to warn you that this won't likely be quite as mouth-watering as your meal at the blade.' 
Valraker's grey eyes twinkled. She laughed, recalling her slurps during last night's dinner, and I suppose there's no wine to go along with it. You'd only choke on it every time I speak, he grinned, slopping porridge into a cup. I was hoping you wouldn't notice that. He handed her the cup of porridge and said, At your service, darling, in such an accurate imitation of Simon that she snorted and almost dropped the cup. Suddenly she became aware that the rest of the group was quietly observing the interchange. Her face flushed a little and Valraker winked at her. He held her gaze for a moment. She knew she was being appraised and that so far she was okay in Valraker's books. Is this some kind of an inside joke? Fennel broke in. Are you going to share with the rest of us? He scooped another spoonful of porridge into his mouth. Certainly not, Valraker said haughtily. By definition, Fennel, said Jeskellen, an inside joke is not meant to be shared. Kier caught Derry looking at her thoughtfully before he lowered his head to his breakfast. Valraker changed the subject and spoke to Kier again. Perhaps when the wound is fully healed, you could describe for me in detail how it happened. He lifted the kettle from the grate and filled another tin cup. I suppose, Kier replied, not quite sure what Valraker was getting at. Good, he nodded. I may know a trick or two that could prevent you from giving your blood to our cause so freely. Tea? He handed her the steaming brew. She nodded in understanding. Just let me know when it's a good time for you, Valraker said. I will. She moved over to sit next to Janik and Fennel on the cedar log they shared. Janik grunted and moved to the other side of the fire. She stared after him, open-mouthed. What a jackass. Get over it, she said. I'm not going away. The others pointedly stared at their food except for Valraker, who smirked at Janik. At length, after some discussion with his mage and captain, Valraker spoke to the group. We should be in Paterak by mid-afternoon. We'll stop there overnight, then carry on to Shale. I believe Kian is there and I have business with him. Let's be off as soon as possible. Kier looked up at the mention of her own duke. Of course, Lord Kian Barthelon and Valraker were best friends. Travelling with the one great hero almost certainly meant encountering the other. Kier rode next to Fennel as the party headed north to Paderak. They chatted, or rather, he chatted and she listened. Although his prattle was probably irritating at times, he was quite likable. But she was glad to be upwind. The babbling blonde elf didn't seem to mind that she wasn't paying close attention to him, or it could be he was unaware that her attention was on the conversation between Valraker and Janik, who spoke behind her. No one could accuse her of eavesdropping. She was unmistakably supposed to hear every word the dwarf said. The dark elf asked Janik for his thoughts on their mission to Nenya, what approach he thought they ought to take to find out the circumstances in the village. "'Well, for one thing, we need to keep quiet,' the dwarf began with the tone of an expert. "'And that is what leads me to believe that our party is just too big. "'How can all five of us enter the village with no one becoming aware and getting suspicious? "'Nope, the smaller party of four was a much better idea. Five is just too many.' "'Ah,' the duke considered the recommendation. "'You feel we need to reduce our number. "'I won't be there, so that leaves just one more to cut from the group. "'I suppose it ought to be the one who most obviously does not fit in.' "'Exactly.' "'Perhaps Derry with his plate armor and warhorse. "'He's certainly not inconspicuous. "'Or Fennel, who talks incessantly and smells bad. "'The villagers would know of your arrival three days beforehand. "'Oh, no, that isn't what I meant,' Janik shook his head vehemently. "'Nope, for such a serious mission as this, "'on the other side of enemy lines, "'I think it unquestionably ought to be the one who is the least experienced, "'the one we are most likely to have to bail out of trouble. "'We won't have time for that sort of nonsense.' 
Dalraker said, hmm, and nodded wisely. Pierre had a much better idea. She pivoted in her saddle to speak to the duke. If you don't mind my saying so, Valraker, it seems to me that since Nenya is a human village, we ought to be rid of the members of our party that would find it next to impossible to disguise themselves as humans. She looked at the dwarf pointedly, and he gave her a glare. These are all very useful considerations, the dark elf winked at Kier. I will ponder your ideas and let you know what conclusion I reach. Janet glowered. They took care to enter Paterak in small groups, the way they had left Wanaka, and took lodgings at an inn called Aiden's Haven. Kier thought it in bad taste to name an inn after the goddess of life and fertility, but then Derry explained that the proprietor herself was named for the goddess. Derry dismounted as the stable boys ran out. Unlike young Jack at the burnished blade, these lads appeared to be in awe of the warhorse and gratefully accepted Derry's offer to help stable him. Kier, amused, interpreted his offer as a diplomatic way of saying, I would not dare trust you with him, and I prefer to groom him myself. She handed off Trigg as well as the two extra horses that had belonged to the dead men in the woods. After an unremarkable meal in an establishment that reeked of boiling tripe, Giscalin and Kier decided to go to the marketplace. The mage was looking out for a pair of gloves, and the warrior needed a new stiletto, one that did not break so easily when thrust between links of chain mail. Fennel challenged Derry to a sparring match. The elf had told her he was an excellent bowman, but always welcomed an opportunity to improve his sword skills. Giskelin and Kier left them in the yard and headed off. The main road took them past some shops, including a baker and a weaver, as well as a few guild houses. The sign above one doorway showed the chisel and trowel of the mason's guild. In the archway of the cooper's guild, a young man in a dark blue cloak leaned against the doorframe, reading a pamphlet. Paterak was larger than Wanaka, enough to be called a town. It was nestled in the foothills at the southernmost tip of the Ptarmigan Range, and did fairly good trade with the dwarves who lived within those mountains. The marketplace was set up in the centre of town in a square framed by shops and houses. Today's sunshine had not done much to dry up the muddy ground. Kier's boots squelched and mud oozed up between Jeskelin's toes. Even in the mid-afternoon, the market was a bustle of people. Booths lined all side of the square for vendors of fruits and vegetables, leather products, and arms. Stalls housed carpenters' tables and chairs and other handicrafts. A Fletcher, a Chandler, tables of baked goods, hats and bonnets, rag dolls, toys. Musicians had strategically placed themselves to effectively compete for the attention of the crowd. A man standing on a crate expounded his philosophic views on the creation of the world, and another fellow cried out an emphatic warning that the end of said world was nigh. The clamor of all these in counterpoint with the cries of vendors was the music of the market that always sent ripples up Kier's back. "'I bought my first short sword in a place like this,' she commented as they dodged in and around all the people and looked over the wares. "'Of course, the market in Hrath is about half this size, but the feeling is the same.' "'When was that?' the mage asked. "'I was twelve. Kier smiled to herself as she remembered proudly showing her purchase to her parents. "'Take that, you worm, you dog!' She'd pretended to attack Gareth, who played along by falling to the ground and crying for mercy. Brandishing the sword, she said, "'I'm going to be a great warrior. I'm going to help Duke Kian send Dregor fleeing from Rydris for his very life!' And just a few days later, she was approached by Brendau and started training with him. The old man's timing was impeccable. Jeskelin was speaking. They had stopped at an herbalist's booth. I don't like these places, he 
placed a bottle back on a display shelf. I do not like the smell, for one thing, and I will never get used to the noise and the large crowds. I'm from the northern steppe. The peace and solitude become a part of one, and there's no turning away from it. Kier didn't bother reminding him that in a few days' time he would be entering the second largest city in all of Rydris. In these markets I never know whether to trust that I'm getting a quality product, Jiskellen went on, and with all the noise and the people, I feel pressured and ill at ease. There's so much rubbish. You have to be careful what you spend your money on. A nearby booth displayed weaponry, including a collection of fine-looking daggers. Kier stopped to look them over. Jiskellen noticed a glover farther on and went to see his wares. Kier looked up briefly from a knife with a carved bone handle. The mage drifted away. Kier could find nothing to suit her among the hand weapons on display and wished to ask the dwarf managing the stall if there were any more in her wagon. She was occupied with another customer, so Kier waited patiently, glad of the entertainment of the street performers. Her right hand rested on the counter, and she craned her neck to catch glimpses of the sword swallower through the gaps in the thinning crowd. A sharp pain suddenly pierced the back of her hand. Yanking it away from the table, she spun around in surprise. Her hand had a three-inch cut across it, and blood oozed from it. Clutching it, she looked around to see who could have done such a thing. A tall young man stood very near her with his hand tucked inside his dark blue cloak. He watched her with a casual expression. No one else was nearby. It had to have been him. "'What did you do that for?' He did not speak, but the corner of his mouth turned up slightly, as she felt a numbing warmth travel up her right arm. "'What's he done?' She flung her head around to find Jaskelin, but he was completely engrossed in his glove search. The numbness spread across her shoulders. Something took her left arm and gently pulled. Her legs faltered forward, and she knew she was being led by the blue-cloaked man. Had she seen him before? Did she know him? Her vision blurred and the world started to spin. Her knees weakened. Perhaps she was mistaken and this was Jaskelin. He had seen that she was ill and was taking her back to the inn. The muddy ground swooped up to meet her and she gasped. <gasps> she was down on one knee. The market whirled about her. She fought panic and pressed her hand against her forehead. An arm was around her and she was upright and shuffling along again. Images rushed by, but they were not focused. Faces and figures and dark shapes, which she tried in vain to identify. Her legs stumbled along. She could hear what she knew were voices, but could not make out words. No, thank you. The nearby voice was strangely clear. My wife is with child and is ill. I am taking her home. Jaskelin, what are you saying? She thought frantically and tried to cry out, but only succeeded in moaning. Oh, uh, oh. Uh. Keep walking, the same voice said in her ear. All other sounds faded. She turned, but could not see who had spoken. Blurred vision had become total darkness. Her legs gave out altogether, and she crumpled. She was barely aware of being lifted. Jaskelin walked a few steps away from Kier before having to slow down for a group of people who had stopped to watch a fellow swallowing his sword— Growing impatient, he plowed his way past a woman whose child was dragging his feet crossly and whining that he really wanted the taffy, and sighed in relief at having finally reached the glover's table. He sifted through gloves to find some that would fit over his long, delicate mage's fingers, and scowled. He searched through every pair of gloves on that table, and not a single one fit. They were either too large in the palms or too short in the fingers. The poor tradesman had tried his best to find just the right pair and seemed sincerely dismayed that he had been unable to help his customer. 
Giskelin had almost resigned himself to the fact that he would have to have a pair custom-made once they got to shale when the glover pulled out a canvas sack from under a shelf behind him. These are each flawed in some minute way, he explained apologetically, and Giskelin thought, that's not surprising, but you may wish to look through them all the same. He laid the sack in front of the mage and untied the drawstring. Giskelin glanced at him doubtfully, but shuffled through the mass. String tied around the thumbs kept the pairs together. He was about to give up when he came across a black pair with oddly shaped fingers. His attitude took an abrupt turn for the better. "'These are exquisite,' he said. "'Why did you not show me these right away?' Indeed, they were finely crafted of the softest leather, yet appeared to be very durable. He slid his hand in and was delighted that they fit perfectly. "'Just what I have been looking for!' He grinned broadly and held up his hand, looking over in hopes of catching Kier's eye to show her how successful he had been. She was not where he had left her. Curious, he hoisted himself onto a nearby crate and felt a slight anxiety when he could not find her. Then, as his gaze scanned the crowd, he saw a strange sight. There was Kier, but a man in a deep blue cloak had her by the arm. Was that not the same young man he had seen in the doorway of the guildhouse on their way here? A bad feeling seized him, and he dropped the gloves, mumbling a quick, I'll have to come back later. He moved away and vaguely heard the glover mutter, Damned northerners! The mage's methodical mind raced. Was it one of Ronav's men again? But why would she go with him so willingly? It occurred to him that he would need help in the event that she was being taken to a place where there would be more foes than he could handle on his own. As Jeskelin darted in and out around marketplace patrons, he cursed himself for not heeding Valraker's direction to keep his eyes open for the girl's pursuers. He had to send a message to one of the others. Any more than one would tire him and take up too much time. He would have to stop to concentrate and could lose her. Which one? Certainly not Janik. The dwarf would ignore the message, thinking that Ronav was welcome to the girl and she could just rot as far as he was concerned. Up ahead, Jeskelin saw Kier in her dark green cloak drop to one knee. The man hauled her up again and supported her as they increased their pace and disappeared behind a baker's stall. He's drugged her. They wanted her alive or else he would have just killed her. I will call Derry. Derry was at the inn, which was only a short distance away. If she was poisoned, Derry would be needed. Besides, Fennel had been with him. They would both come. Jeskelin rounded the corner and caught a glimpse through the throng of Kier's escort, making a beeline for a narrow road that headed into the western quadrant of the town. Trusting to chance that their direction would not change, the mage stopped short. Vaguely aware of someone swearing at him for nearly causing a collision, Jeskelin drew his staff toward himself, bowed his head, and closed his eyes. His shaman-trained mind took only a moment to focus in the trance. Darkness surrounded him, and his deep breathing made the only sound as he concentrated. <sighs> Dairy, Marketplace, West Side, your kit and fennel. He came out into the light again, hoping the message would suffice, and shook off the lightheadedness brought on by the spell. The fleeing pair was nowhere in sight. Jeskelin ran, his bare feet getting little traction in the mud. Surely the crowd could see he was in a hurry. Why did they impede him? As in a bad dream, every person in the market seemed to have chosen that moment to head in the opposite direction from Jeskelin. He wove in and out, murmuring apologies to the obstacles with whom he made contact. A stray hog darted out in front of him, nearly bowling him over, but the mage regained his footing and pressed on. At last he reached the edge of the square and went down the road he was sure the two had taken. 
He ran alongside a three-story building until he came to the corner at the rear. He looked up and down the alleyway. In the dim light, he saw the kidnapper stumbling close to the north end. Kier's legs must have given out because the man was now carrying her, armor, weapons and all, no small feat for a man of his size. He did not look steady. Jaskelin kept running and found he was gaining on them, but he had to do something before the two reached the end of the alley and could turn one way or the other and be out of his sight again. He extended his hand with a flinging motion and threw a spell, a direct hit. Her captor suddenly slowed to half speed. He turned to see what had caused it. Seeing Jaskelin, his face broke into a look of panic and he tried to run, but now it was he whose progress was impeded. "'Put her down!' Jaskelin dashed toward them. The man halted and practically flung Kier in the mud. The mage was glad Kier was unconscious, or that would have hurt. The half-speed spell already wearing off, the rogue reached into his cloak. From only ten paces away, Jaskelin whispered in the arcane tongue, casting a fist-sized ball of magical fire at his chest. The man raised his arm to block the blow, but the flames engulfed him. His scream echoed down the alley as his charred form crumpled to the earth. The mage blinked in surprise. He had expected at least some attempt at defense. How wasteful to use such a good spell and such a sorry excuse for a kidnapper. <sighs> Sighing, Jaskelin scanned the area around the corner to see if he could determine the man's intended destination. There was no one in sight but a few dwarves on their way to the smithy in the open area beyond where he stood. No further clues. The alley was flanked by two three-story buildings, and if the wet laundry hanging out the windows was anything to go by, at least one was a hostel. Raising his eyes, Jaskelin saw an anxious face peering out of a second-floor window. He waved, and she hastily withdrew, closing her shutters. The commotion was nothing for her to worry about. Jaskelin poked through the still-glowing heap of carbon with his staff to see what he could find of value that was not flammable. "'There you are!' an exasperated voice called, and Fennel sprinted up. "'It took me ages to find you. I'm sorry. Derry sent me on ahead because I can run faster than he can. He told me to find you on the west side of the square, but he didn't say anything about running up and down alleyways. I hope I'm not too late. Dear goddess, what has happened?' He finally noticed the prone body of their comrade and the smoking remains of another. "'We had a brief adventure, Kier and I, during our visit to the market. That is to say, we each had an adventure. They were rather separate.' The mage felt his staff butt against a hard object. With a closer look, he picked it out with a handkerchief and slipped it inside his robe. Derry appeared around the corner and jogged along the alley, carrying his physiker's kit immediately to Kier's side. "'Is she dead?' Fennel asked, his brow creasing. "'No,' Jaskelin said before Derry could speak. "'But I believe she's been drugged.' He removed the dead man's boots, which were only a bit blackened. I don't suppose it occurred to you not to kill him so you could find out for certain who he was. Derry checked Kier's pulse and breathing. Jaskelin pursed his lips at the rebuke, but carried on with his examination of the body. It was a fair assumption, he said stubbornly, tossing the boots aside, because the assassin disabled her rather than killing her. I presume he brought her down here to meet somebody. He removed a small cloth sack from the man's pocket and hefted it in his palm. Upon hearing the clinking of coins, he drew it open and examined its contents. I do believe this would be an appropriate down payment for her capture. Who paid him, I wonder? Did you elicit any information from him, such as where he was headed? Derry asked. No, I did not really expect him to be as disappointing an opponent, the maid replied. Fennel is lighter of foot than I. Perhaps he could run a search. The elf trotted off around the corner to see if he could learn anything more. 
Jeskelin propped Kier up so Derry could force a brightly coloured liquid between her lips. She coughed and sputtered, but most of it went down her throat. Something else caught the mage's attention, being so close to Kier. An aroma. Jeskelin searched her face for something that could account for it, but shook his head, dismissing it. How did you happen to become separated? Derry asked. We were looking for different things and thought it would save time, Jeskelin said, leaning on his staff. Jeskelin, you were asked. I didn't intend to take more than a few minutes. Who would have thought it would take that long to find a pair of gloves that fit? The mage thought wistfully about the fine pair he had left behind and wondered if the glover would still be there. Well, what's done is done, Derry said, just as Fennel returned. "'There was a horseman a couple of blocks down,' the elf panted. "'He bolted when he saw me, so my guess is he was the destination. "'I couldn't hope to catch him up on foot.' "'There is nothing more we can do about it, I'm afraid,' Derry said. "'Fennel, please carry my kit and Kier's sword. "'We must get her back to the inn.' "'Derry had far less difficulty bearing the weight of their friend than her captor had. "'Jeskelin watched his long stride, steady and sure beneath his burden, "'an image not inconsistent with the young captain's natural, albeit subdued, gallantry. "'He would be a fine knight some day, if he would stop trying so hard. "'It was well that Kier, on the other hand, was unconscious, "'for though he had met her a mere two nights ago, "'he had a feeling that the helpless damsel image would not sit well with her at all. "'Derry rounded the corner, Fennel alongside him. Jeskelin's part over, he went to retrieve his gloves. The crowds parted for Derry, and he reached the inn in a matter of moments. Kier's pulse was faint but detectable. She had a slight fever, but Derry was not concerned. It indicated that her body fought the drug. He had also located the point of entry, namely the scratch on her hand, and cleaned it well with alcohol. The physicker believed that the drug had been a mild poison, so it would wear off in a while, but the low-grade antidote would help her come out of it more quickly and with fewer side effects. The potion would also counteract the detrimental effect the poison could have on her wounds of last night. She's had more than her share of woe these last two days, Derry thought. Fennel held the door open, and Derry carried Kier's limp body into the foyer of Aidan's Haven. Their hostess popped through the doorway from the dining room. "'Oh, my goodness!' she exclaimed. "'The poor dear! What happened? Is she ill? What can I do?' Derry endeavoured to negotiate the stairs without knocking Kier's head against the railing. "'I would suggest that the most useful thing at the moment would be for you to open her room so I can put her down.' The large woman hustled up the stairs behind him, pulling out a ring of keys and flipping through them. "'Oh, yes, of course. My goodness, the poor thing! How dreadful to have taken ill! It was the heat that did it, you know. These slender women are apt to faint on warm days like this!' Derry waited for her to unlock the door, then brushed past her to lay Kier on the bed. He removed her muddy cloak and tossed it on a chair. "'I'll get her some nice chicken soup I have on the stove right now. "'That will help the poor dear. "'I told you she's far too thin. "'Thin women! "'Good lady, our friend is not ill, and she did not faint,' "'Derry interrupted, as close to impatient as he had ever been. "'She has been poisoned. "'Chicken soup would be much less useful "'than a poultice of comfrey, poppy, and adder's tongue. "'And no, madam, she is not a helpless maiden, "'but a fighter who has had a run-in with some enemies.' The innkeeper stared at him, at the armoured woman on the bed, then at Fennel, who emphatically nodded his confirmation of Derry's words. "'What are you on about?' said a weak voice. They all looked down at Kier, whose pale face was bewildered. "'Why is it cloudy?' Derry knelt down next to the bed, checking her fever, which was abating. 
The blurred vision is caused by the poison, he explained. Aidan, clearly uncomfortable with this new development, bolted out the door to retreat to the kitchen. Oh, is that what it was? Kier said softly. We presume your captor was hired by Ronav. He's dead now. The man in blue. Just then, Jeskelin entered the room. She's back, is she? he said pleasantly. I had quite a time catching up with you, but I made it, and I even managed to go back and get these gloves. He held up his hands, displaying his purchase. The poison was not extremely potent, and won't take long to work through your system, Derry said. You should feel better by morning. He left to assist the innkeeper with preparing the poultice. Jeskelin lingered behind and cocked his head to one side. Do you by any chance have any magical items on you? No, why do you ask? Jeskelin leaned on his staff. It's just I sensed something on you earlier. I'd been stabbed with poison, she suggested. He shook his head. I don't think it was that, but I suppose it might have been the residuals from my own spell. Never mind. By the way, did you find a dagger? No, Kier said irritably, glancing down at her bandaged hand. I never got to finish that before the bastard slashed me. The mage approached the bed with hushed excitement. I saved this for you. From inside his robe he revealed a shiny knife. It is the very one he used, so that may repulse you, but I retrieved it, and I thought you might like to have it, for it appears very well made. The fire will have cleaned off any traces of poison. I also checked it for unfavorable magic, and it is completely benign. Made of fine steel, it had a silver-chased grip and a six-inch needle-point blade with a narrow V-shaped fuller. Kier grinned. This one would be suitable against chain mail. <laughs> no, I'm not repulsed at all. There's a delightful irony about my keeping this. Thanks, Jeskelin. Some time later, Derry brought the poultice and applied it to the scratch on Kier's hand. This will help draw out the poison. Now rest. The next morning, they headed out on the five-day journey to Shale. Ronav drummed his fingers on the arm of his chair. You are empty-handed? Khan stood before him, his body half turned away. Waste of gold on that bloody sorry excuse for an assassin. Ronav's knuckles whitened. Why didn't you do it yourself? I thought it would be easier this way. No chance of her recognizing me. The feeling that crept over the chief was not dissimilar to the panic that had stifled him when he first was getting used to the darkness of Dregor's dungeon. Breathe. Just breathe. There's still time. Any more idea of who she is? Khan grunted and scratched the back of his head. Ronav watched his right-hand man's eyes wander the hall to gaze at the others lolling about in various stages of drunkenness. The serving wenches, finished with one type of serving, had moved on to the next. One was curled up among the legs of someone Ronav couldn't identify because the fellow's head was already buried inside her open bodice, one hand up her skirt and the other pinching a reddened erect nipple. Her head hung back and she looked intensely bored. If it had been Ronav, he'd have backhanded her by now for not even pretending to enjoy it. On the other hand, there was that crow-haired slut swinging her hips beckoningly to Giles and unlacing her bodice. Giles watched apathetically, but he would soon ladle her up like the evening meal and haul her away to the privacy of his room to consume her. Ronav gazed with pride. I give my men everything they want, happy in their work. Dunno who she is, Con said finally. I think it might have been a setup. 
What makes you say that? The chief said sharply. She was seen talking pretty close with a bloke in black after she killed Simon and left with him. Also, she took nothing from the cart of goods but went straight for the chest. It was gone by the time Jack got there. He tried to get in her window, but she was ready for him. That doesn't mean anything, necessarily. Ronav was hopeful. She killed Jet and Rory single-handedly. Con glared at him. She ain't an ordinary girl. And one other thing. The fellow in black turns out. I watched them arrive at Paterak. It's Valraker. Ronav felt the blood drain from his face. He swallowed hard, trying to collect himself. Of course, it would have to be Valraker. This changed everything. You must... I want to know who she is. I want her. Do you hear me? Con looked him fully in the eye, and his face slowly broke into his grotesque half-grin, the left side overcompensating for the paralyzed right. He rubbed his chest where the girl's dagger had pierced him. This time, I'll get her myself. See that you do. And that's it for Chapter 4. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. That was Kier's experience shopping. I hope that your shopping experiences are not as eventful as Kier's. Speaking of which, just a little plug to remind everybody to shop local as much as possible. I think you really help your local economy by shopping at the little stores that are near you. The little ones really, really need your help. Your local restaurants and cafes and your, your local hardware store and uh, bookstores and all the rest. So just encourage you to help your local small business. And we'll see you next week. Thank you to my family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie. As ever, David and Sharon. Thanks always to the original six. And thank you to you. Take care of each other. Now go be fantastic.